0: No, I'm not dressed like it today, but I am running a race. And it might sound strange for a person wearing a suit with dress shoes on, especially, to run a race. But I want to share this with you this morning, too. No matter how you're dressed or what kind of shape you're in, if you're a Christian, you're running the race with me. It's the race of faith that all of us, as Jesus' followers have been called to be a part. God's goal and his desire for us is to finish the race of faith. And not just to cross the finish line half-heartedly, absolutely exhausted, and without having done our best. His desire for us to finish the race of faith is to do so as exhausted Christians because we have spent all of our effort and energy living our lives to please Him. This race of faith begins for a person when they place their faith in Jesus Christ to save them. So for little Claire Meyer, she's back there in Children's Church, isn't she? Bummer. I can talk about her still. Her family's here. It's good to see you guys this morning. For little Claire Meyer, her race of faith began on the night of July the 4th, or it may have been the morning of July the 5th. It was early, wasn't it? After Latricia and Drew had come, in, had come over to Stephanie's house and we had played games with them, she had been wanting to talk about following Jesus and becoming a Christian. And so we talked, and then after she left our house, she prayed and trusted Jesus to save her. But that wasn't it for her, nor is it it for others who profess faith in Christ. We go on this process of growing in our faith in Him, of running the race, of learning how to walk with God. Some of those initial steps include telling a group of other believers that you're a Christian, a public profession of faith. Getting baptized, showing other people that you believe that Jesus died for your sins, was buried, and rose again. Learning how to read your Bible daily so that you can hear from God. Spending time with God in prayer, making your requests known to Him, thanking Him for how He watches over you and cares for you, and asking that He would work through you and other Christians to save people all around the world. It's a big race. In fact, it's a lifelong race. Ultimately, we don't cross the finish line until we get to glory. And there, God desires to place on the head of every believer the crown of life. And He'll do so if we're faithful to follow His Son, Jesus. Last week, we looked in the book of 2 Timothy on this idea of finishing the race by getting refreshed from others around us. There's times when we get tired and worn out and weary, and we need to be encouraged by others. This week, as we look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, I want you to have, idea, have in mind this idea. You and I finish the race of faith by continuing to run towards the Lord with others beside us. In other words, we need to get refreshed in the Christian life to be able to finish the race. But races aren't won by standing next to the water cooler. They're won by putting one foot in front of the other and continuing to go. We do that by running towards the Lord with others beside us. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 22, Paul gave Timothy this admonition. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Paul was nearing the end of his race on earth. In fact, over in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul Paul the apostle told his son in the faith, Timothy, that I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, and I have kept the faith. But Paul wanted Timothy to keep running his race until it was time for him to cross the finish line. In order to do so, Paul would give in Paul would give Timothy instruction throughout this letter about finishing the race of faith. And in verse 22 of chapter 2, Paul gave Timothy some instruction about how to run with others beside him. In verse 22, Paul tells Timothy to run away from selfish desires. Notice that phrase, now flee from youthful lusts. Timothy was to turn around and to run away from youthful desires. In our time, when we hear the word lust, we associate that word with temptation to sexual immorality. That's just the common idea we have in mind. And although Timothy was certainly to abstain from sexual sin, the youthful lusts that Paul spoke about here enveloped a larger area than just sexual temptation. In this context, we see that Paul wanted Timothy to avoid the worldly and empty chatter of the false teachers around him. Look back up in your Bibles to a few verses before. Verse uh, 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth, but avoid worldly and empty chatter. For it will lead to further ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene, like that nasty infection in the body. Among these type of people are Hymenaeus and Philetus, false teachers. Men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection had already taken place. And they upset the faith of some. Paul, in his first letter to Timothy, had told Timothy to stand against these false teachers. And Timothy had done so. But in 2 Timothy, Paul doesn't just tell Timothy to stand against them. He tells him to run away from them. To associate himself with them. To separate himself from these people. Evidently, these men had not repented of the false teaching that they had initially engaged in. And because of that, Paul wanted Timothy to cut, to sever ties with these individuals. In order to do that... Timothy wouldn't need to continue in further dialogue. He would need to keep his mouth shut and move on. It wasn't that Paul was telling Timothy to be a coward. It's that he was telling him to exercise courage by leaving those people to the sinful path that they had chosen to walk down. Any young hothead is passionate about his own ideas, right? And he will argue his rightness on the main point with subpoints that lead down side trails. And those side trails distract us from reaching our intended destination. I mean, just think about arguing with the teenager for a moment, if you will. Just if you're a teenager, think about arguing with one of your friends. It's wonderful the passion and zeal that teenagers have, isn't it? Some of you hadn't spent enough time around our teenagers at church, apparently. Man, they will talk to you about following Jesus. And about doing what's right in God's eyes. Because they're walking with the Lord and they desire to do so. But every once in a while, someone with youth and inexperience will try to make their point by using sub-points that don't really fit the argument. In fact, instead of pressing on the main point of truth, they get distracted with all kinds of ideas that aren't really related to God's truth. Although Timothy wasn't a teenager at this point, he was still young when it came to the place of serving as pastor. And Timothy didn't need to be distracted with superfluous debates. There were things that simply weren't worth his time, his effort, and his energy. And he needed to move on. He had told the false teachers that they were wrong, and he had told them why. And now he needed to let them go. And let God bring judgment upon them for what they were saying and doing. After all, that wasn't Timothy's position in the first place. Timothy needed to flee from immorality. He also needed to flee from pride, self-absorption, foolish theological arguments, and ignorant spiritual speculations. Hymenaeus and Philetus that are mentioned in verse 17 were false teachers. But evidently, their bloated brains led them to take off on the path of indecent and lewd behavior with susceptible women in the Ephesian congregation. Look at chapter 3 and verses 1 through 9 and you'll kind of see what I'm talking about. They're the evil characteristics in these men's hearts lead them to hold a form of godliness, 2 Timothy 3, verse 5, although they denied its power. Paul told Timothy again to avoid such men as those, for among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led by various impulses, always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. There was good reason why Paul told Timothy Timothy to separate himself from these false teachers. It wasn't just that they were saying the wrong things. It's that they were engaging in evil behavior within the congregation. Timothy needed to finish his race of faith. And he could only do so if he ran away from selfish desires. Timothy might not have been able to see the ultimate darkness an initial bad decision would produce But he knew the wickedness in the lives of these false teachers. He saw it. He heard about it. He knew what activities they were engaged in. And Paul did not want Timothy to engage in this type of behavior in moderation. He didn't want him to toy with these practices up to a certain point. His charge to Timothy was to flee, that is to run away. This charge is actually a repeat of one that Paul gave to Timothy to close out his first letter. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. 1 Timothy 6.11 Take this illustration from the Old Testament as an example of how we are to run away from selfish desires. When David faced the giant Goliath. He fought him with faith in the one true God. He was strong and courageous. He killed the cursing Philistine with a stone and a sling. He struck down God's enemy and gave God's people the victory. But when David fled from King Saul, he did so with fear of the one true God. He chose not to be stupid and careless. David could have killed Saul with the king's own sword, on at least two occasions. But instead, he chose not to raise a hand against God's anointed, but rather to run away from the youthful impulse to end the man's life who was trying to take his. When David ran away, he was not doing so as a coward, but as a man of character. Paul wasn't telling Timothy to shy away from a worthy fight he was telling him that it was time to leave those people and those things alone because nothing good would come from it. There is a time to stand and fight in battle while wearing the armor of God. And there is a time to simply leave the scene of a battle that's not worth fighting because it cannot be won. In fact, in the New Testament, we are never told to fight against immorality. Did you know that? We're never told to fight against immorality. Rather, we are told to flee from it altogether. We don't win by edging ourselves nearer to temptation. We win by running away from youthful lusts. Don't think that you're a strong enough Christian to hang around certain people who involve themselves in certain behaviors without consequence to your personal walk with God. Paul communicated the urgency Connected with this command when he wrote to Timothy, Now flee from youthful lusts. The time to forsake those things was not later, but now. If we are going to finish the race of faith, then we must keep running away from selfish desires. Not only did Paul challenge Timothy to run away from selfish desires, he also challenged him to run after spiritual goals. That next phrase of verse 22 says, And pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. In order to finish the race of faith, we must keep running after spiritual goals. This growth process towards Christian maturity has been called by some theologians the pursuit of holiness. The word pursue means to intently chase after something that lies ahead of you. Think of those Discovery Channel or Animal Planet Channel documentaries when you see a cheetah chasing a gazelle down in the savannah. Here are the goals that Paul urged Timothy to chase down. Righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Righteousness is an open rectitude in attitude and action. Righteousness is reflected in conduct that is pleasing to God. Faith. Faith reflects a genuine commitment to God. When one believes, he shows trust or sincere confidence in the God he claims to follow. Love is a growing affection for both the Lord and others. It's a commitment to honor God with all of one's life heart, soul, mind, and strength, and a commitment to treat others well, to love them as they would themselves. Peace emphasizes the need for displaying a gentle, healing disposition. It wasn't that Timothy was to hate the false teachers. It's that he was to avoid them so he didn't become like them. Timothy was rather to seek and promote fellowship and harmony with other Christians in the body. These are noble characteristics of the Christian life that mirror the character of Christ himself. When you think of Jesus, you think of his display of righteousness, of faith, of love, and of peace. We are to pursue, that is to run after these character qualities. I never showed much skill playing video games growing up. I just never did. I could hit a baseball with a bat, But when it came to pressing buttons with my thumbs to make a computer-generated man hit a baseball on the screen, I failed by every time. And I may just be digitally challenged, I'm not sure. But there was one game in particular that I could play with some proficiency. It was my favorite game on the PlayStation, not the PS3 or PS2, the old school PlayStation. It was called Gran Turismo. It was a racing game in which you use the controller to drive and steer cars over race courses. The goal was to win races, to earn money, to upgrade your vehicles, and to purchase better and faster vehicles. I excelled when I drove this yellow racing version of a Mitsubishi GTO. I mean, I could beat anybody. It had better handling than all the other cars in the game, but my secret to getting so good at racing this car to turn on a feature in the game called Ghost. Anybody play video games, nerd? You guys know what Ghost Mode is? We got about three of you. That's good. Let me learn you something then, all right? When you turned on Ghost, a transparent image of the last lap you raced was displayed on the screen. And this is why it was so important for me to turn on instead of just trying to outlast all of the other cars that i was beating just by by strides i would race this see-through image of the previous lap i had driven because no one else on the track was as fast as i was i was chasing after myself The other cars on the track couldn't keep up and I knew that if I wanted to keep winning more races and beating my friends in two-player mode, because it was the only time I ever won at video games, then I had to set a goal that was difficult and sometimes even impossible for me to reach. When we seek to run after the spiritual goals of righteousness, faith, love, and peace, we're attempting to attain the character of Christ in our own lives. It's not that we're racing ourselves and trying to prove to ourselves or to others how wonderful we are. It's that we're running after him in pursuit. Following him so that we run the race set before us like he ran the race set before him. Jesus is our example. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 2 through 4 says it this way. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. If we want to sit down victoriously at the end of life when we've crossed the finish line, We can only finish the race of faith by running after spiritual goals. Paul also knew that Timothy could not run this race of faith without God's power and others' encouragement. The end of verse 22 says, Timothy, you run this race with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Timothy didn't just need to separate himself from the false teachers around him or the selfish desires in his own heart. He didn't just need to set spiritual goals that only he could attain by his hard work. In order to finish the race of faith, he had to keep running alongside supportive believers. Now, not everyone who calls themselves a Christian looks like Jesus. Paul didn't just tell Timothy, run the race with those who call on the Lord. He said, run the race with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. In other words, we need to have the spiritual discernment to decipher who is calling on the Lord out of a pure heart and who is deceiving others in pretension and hypocrisy. It's not that we judge others in a way that we think we're better than them. It's just that we choose to place ourselves in an environment where we can be encouraged to keep following jesus a really good example of this type of support in a race was demonstrated in a cross-country ski event in the last winter olympics you know how it is with the olympics on tv you don't really know unless you're an olympic nerd maybe some of you are what games are going to come on during primetime television you just kind of turn on nbc and whatever's there during coverage you watch So if it's curling, you watch curling, right? And if it's the the alpine ski jump, which is the coolest event, then you watch that. Well, I didn't get alpine jumping. I got this cross-country ski. I thought, man, this is kind of boring. Because here's what it entailed. There were about 30 or 40 cross-country skiers pushing themselves on flat surfaces, climbing up hills. I mean, they're going at a slow pace. And this race wasn't like one of those speedy things when the fastest person wins. It was an endurance race. When the person who can put up with the most pain and suffering and still do their best, they cross the finish line first and they win. Well, I began to notice something as I was continuing to watch this cross-country ski event along their race course. They had to make several laps, and there was a group wearing red from the country of Norway. And as these skiers are making their way through the flat parts of the course and then climbing hills at a slow pace, they're all right there to pack together. Four of them. And you could see once in a while, one would pass the other guys, but he wouldn't leave them in the dust. He would get ahead of them to set the pace for the rest of them so that they could keep going and press on. And then when he began to wear down, somebody else, maybe it was the last person in line or the the third person in line, would take that person's place in the front of the line to set the pace and to keep the team moving forward. And when they got to the last lap, they decided to just do the best that they could, right? Here's the neat thing about this Norwegian team. All of them finished towards the top of the race because they kept each other going. They kept each other progressing. They were supporting each other pushing each other towards victory. When it comes to our spiritual lives we need to understand that in order to finish the race of faith we have to run alongside supportive believers. You and I need to choose our friends wisely because our friends influence whom we become. Peer pressure can either be positive or negative. That is, people can bring out the best in you or the worst in you. And some of your friends will pull you towards the youthful lust from which you need to run away. Some of your friends will push you to the spiritual goals to which you've been called to run after. Your friends will either hinder your walk with God or help your walk with God. In whichever direction your friends run, you will run too. So where are your friends running? Where are you running? Think about this in your own life. What friendships do you need to drop? What relationships do you need to cultivate? If God wants you to be godly, then he wants you to have godly friends. And that's going to take some spiritual training, conditioning, and practice on your part. All Christians are brothers and sisters in Christ. But you can have a brother or sister in name who is not your closest friend. I want to challenge you to develop close friendships with other folks in the body of Christ. Choose willingly to fellowship with people that will push you closer to Jesus instead of deciding to hang out with people who will drag you away from Him. In order to finish the race of faith, we must keep running alongside supportive believers. The question at this point Timothy would have had to ask himself is, am I going to keep running? Am I going to keep putting one foot in front of the other? Am I going to run away from selfish desires? Am I going to run towards spiritual goals? Am I going to run alongside other genuine and supportive believers? The question for you is, will you keep running this race of faith? It's the only way to finish. And look, I I told you when I started preaching this morning, I don't care what kind of clothes you're wearing. I don't care what kind of shape you're in. Your job is to run the race that is set before you. And that doesn't mean that your race of faith is going to look like everybody else's. The ultimate destination is glory, when we get to heaven and we're worshiping Jesus together for eternity. Jesus is the only way to heaven. He's the only way to God. But he may have you take different practical steps in your life than he does have me take. In other words, what step is God calling you to take next in this race of faith? And it's not just this abstract, spiritually vague step. It's a concrete action. Let me give you a few of these. Is the next step of faith for you learning how to discipline yourself every day to spend time in God's Word so that you're running away from the temptations that have bogged you down throughout your spiritual life? Is the next step of faith in your race to be open and honest and confess to somebody the sin that has been keeping you back for years upon end? Is the next step in your race of faith choosing to not hang out with so-and-so and instead choosing to hang out with this person Is the next step for you in your race of faith deciding to wake up an hour earlier on Sunday mornings so that you can join a Sunday school class where people will encourage you and pray for you and challenge you to keep running the race of faith? Is the next step for you in your race of faith to volunteer to help with our church van ministry this fall? and helping pick up some of the 90 children and teenagers and bring them to church and take them back home after Sunday night and Wednesday night activities. Is the next step for you and your race of faith something drastic and dramatic? Because you've been following God for a long time and you've been pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace. But He's asking you to do something radical and answering a call that He's placed on your life to leave everything and everyone you know and go serve Him on a foreign mission field? Is the next step that God's asking you to take one that involves you reaching into your back pocket and pulling out your checkbook or your wallet and giving more than you've ever given before to help further the good news of Jesus Christ in our community and to the ends of the earth? Is the next step of faith for you in this race to volunteer to help with our church's we call it, the little food pantry that's sitting out there in the parking lot? Being the point person who uses donations that are given to go and purchase food and to keep the pantry stocked? Is the next step for you in this race of faith, deciding to help with Awana this fall? Is it going to Nick and asking him how you can be a part of the the choir when they begin to practice in August? What is the next step of faith for you? Because I can stand up here and talk to you about running away from things that you should run away from and running to stuff you should run to and running alongside with other people that you should be spending time with. But God doesn't want to just leave this like some spiritual cloud in the sky. He wants you to put one foot in front of the other and do what he is asking you to do. Races are not won by standing next to the water cooler. They're won by keeping running. Keep running the race of faith towards the Lord with others around you. Would you stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? In just a moment, you're going to hear a hymn of invitation played. And here's what I challenge you to do as you hear this song. I challenge you to put one foot in front of the other. And it's not that you have to do this, but if God is speaking to your heart about something, about a specific next step that he wants you to take in this race of faith, how about you physically step out of your pew and you come down here and kneel at the altar and you just say, God, I want to keep running the race of faith. I know this is what you want me to do, and so God, by your grace, I commit to doing it for your honor and for your glory. I'll be standing down here in the front if you need to speak with me about following Jesus and entering into this race, or if you need to talk with me about what God wants you to do next in this race of faith. This altar is open if you need to come and kneel in prayer. And spend some time talking to God about the race He set you on. As God calls you this morning, would you come to Him?